Hello, everyone, and welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I am your host, Olivia Adams, and we are continuing on with our music history series. And today I am bringing you an episode from The Vault. So this is one that was played in our season one, and it is on the music of Berta Alve de Souza. And I toggled with whether or not I wanted to add this one to our music history series. And I came upon, well, the fact that I did want to add this because it was one of my favorite episodes to record. It was a really important episode to me. Berta Alve de Souza is a composer that had an impact on my life much longer after she passed away and was a composer that I was introduced to that put me on the path of pursuing a lot of research around women in music and specifically marginalized and suppressed women in music. So here is my episode on the music of Berta Alve de Souza. So the music of de Souza first came to my attention when attending a conference at the University of Aveiro in my junior year of undergrad. While I was there, I attended a lecture recital on Portuguese women composers. And what I learned at this session was both shocking and fascinating. Graduate students Bernardo Santos and Jamie Mota and their professor Helena Marino introduced several women composers active in the 20th century who were censored during the dictatorship of Antonio de Oliveira Salazar. The three of them went on to discuss the laws under the dictatorship that forbid women to publish due to their gender, regardless of their status as university professors, conductors, and composers. It is because of the censorship that these composers went unknown within the larger Western music canon. As second-wave feminism in Europe promoted equal opportunities for men and women, Portugal experienced the opposite as ideas towards gender equality were suppressed and women in all aspects of life were silenced. The three scholars performed several pieces by Berta Alve de Souza. It is widely known that communist governments throughout history have both censored and filtered media, publication, and in many cases, music. The life of Shostakovich is one that immediately comes to mind when discussing government music censorship. Likewise, we know that women historically face both social and cultural barriers in publishing music. This is known as gender-based censorship. Even when published, women are usually noted as a composer only when preceded by their gender, women composers. And I am guilty of this as well. I think that we need to be referencing them as just composers. Now, in some cases, these two forms of censorship intersect. What does it look like when a composer is under both government and gender-based censorship? What if the gender censorship is instituted by the government? The life and music of Berta Alve de Souza is a prime example of these scenarios. De Souza was a Portuguese composer who faced both political and gendered censorship under the Salazar dictatorship in the mid-20th century. To preface our discussion on de Souza, we must first discuss the elements of censorship at play. In the Oxford Handbook of Music Censorship, Pat Hall writes that, quote, In its most elemental form, music censorship requires an agent capable of affecting negative outcomes on a musician. Conflicts between the censoring agent and the musician arise when music does not project the ideals of the agent, whether religious, governmental, or otherwise. Dictator Antonio de Oliveira Salazar 
established censorship laws with the formation of the Estado Nova dictatorship. Salazar established the Estado Nova military dictatorship, which held power from 1933 to 1974. Salazar ruled from 1932 to 1968. The dictatorship was nationalist in nature, and its philosophy was based in the Catholic doctrine, with the goals of strengthening and preserving, quote, traditional values. Things went sour, and by 1945, post-World War II, things began to take a different turn. During his dictatorship, he abolished all feminist organizations that formed as a result of first-wave feminism, with the promise that, quote, new feminist, end quote, initiative would be established through the government. He established institutional censorship in all media, radio, and print output. All content was filtered through and monitored by the government. If the content didn't fit with the government ideology, then the creator was silenced. Censorship in Portugal occurred in media, publication, and artistic output. No man or woman, citizen or public figure escaped the effects of the government censorship. Like many countries, 1945 post-war culture looked like women returning to their domestic roles as men returned from war and back to work. The government-controlled media displayed domestic women as the good women. Women were caught in both the censorship and the patriarchal system they found themselves in, and often turned to self-censorship. Women were to occupy domestic roles, obey the government, and obey their husbands. Femininity in Portuguese culture was defined through maternity. If you were a working woman, you were to go from home to work and back. In a study on gender censorship in Portugal during this time, one interviewee states that, quote, I had a cousin who was good at singing, but my godfather wouldn't let her become one because it wasn't a suitable career for a decent girl, end quote. Censorship takes place on political and interpersonal levels and is both institutional and patriarchal. Suzanne Cusick writes that the stories of women do not conform to those about creative men. They are respected as great men, genius, or even heroes, and these attributions are gendered and culturally specific while women fight to be even recognized as a composer, end quote. This was certainly true of Berta de Souza. De Souza was successful from early on in her career. She was the recipient of many awards and published early on as a young composer studying at the top music conservatories. This all changed under the Salazar dictatorship. Despite her well-documented success as a composer and despite being a composition professor at a major conservatory, her compositions remained unpublished and unrecognized from 1944 until the end of the Estado Novo. D'Souza sat at the intersection of government-initiated, gender-based censorship in post-war Portugal. The rise of first-wave feminism happened in Portugal at the same time as other European countries in the late 19th century. This gave way to the publishing of women who wrote and the addressing of women's issues in Portugal. During the 1910s, the monarchy was overturned and there was an establishment of a democracy and revision of laws. It was at this time that feminist scholars emerged as they fought for better education for Portuguese women and girls. While the rest of Western Europe and the US saw a build towards second wave feminism in the 1960s, the Portuguese saw a decline in women's rights as women's associations were shut down by the dictatorship. 
The Women's Democratic Movement was established in 1968, but its sole purpose was fighting against the regime and supporting political prisoners. In the late 1980s and 90s, it gave way to emerging feminist scholarship and the publication of many works written and composed by women. In 1981, Berta de Souza won an award for her musical impact. This was the first time she was recognized since 1945 when the censorship laws were put in place. While there is no documented proof that she was withheld publishing rights and public recognition between 45 and 80, one can't help but think that the censorship laws and that time frame line up. Berta Alve de Souza was born April 8, 1906, in Liege, Belgium, shortly after the de Souza family moved back to their homeland of Porto, Portugal, where Berta lived for most of her life. Berta grew up in an environment similar to many career composers, one filled with culture, music, art, and many musical opportunities. She was born into a family that valued music. She could often be found performing with her sister, Leonor, who was a violinist. Berta attended the Porto Conservatory of Music under the tutelage of pianist Louise Costa and went on to study composition in Paris with Georges Mio and piano with Theodore Santo. Berta Alvide de Souza is one of four known Portuguese women who composed and published prior to the fall of the Estado Novo, founded under the Salazar dictatorship. Berta joins the ranks of Delfina Figredo, Maria Dolores Martins, and Clotilde Rosa. She went on to be the conductor of the Porto Symphony Orchestra in 1950. Berta went on to have a career as a professor of composition and piano at the Oporto Conservatory of Music. She won awards such as the Moreira de Sa Prize in 1941, the Music Culture Circle Award in 1944, and the Mul Barco National Radio Spring Flower Games Award in 1941. It is important to note that all of these awards and publications took place prior to the peak of suppression and censorship in Portuguese culture. Most of de Souza's musical output and arguably her best works occurred during and after the reign of Salazar, and most remain unpublished until after her death in 1996. She identified with the Impressionist style and learned from the French Impressionist movement, and the influence of the movement is found in her music. She sought to create psychological, emotional, and landscape environments throughout her music. Often her works were polytonal, and she was a key figure in the contemporary music movement in Portugal through her music criticism, recitals, lectures, conferences, and compositional style. For university professor, orchestral conductor, and prolific composer, it is astonishing how little is known about her music. Other than the publishing project between the University of Aveiro and Fermata Publishing, only one song and one set of piano preludes are in circulation. We will now dive into the two known and recorded works of Berta Alve de Souza, the song Anomu Peto Uma Porta, translates to There is a Door in My Chest. D'Souza sets the text by Brazilian poet José Albano. This poem was published in 1912 as part of a set, and towards the end of Albano's life, he carried marked traits of serious mental illness. He is known as a wanderer and would walk between Vienna and Paris, preferring solitude. He died alone in 1923. The text of this poem is one that reflects a descendance into isolation and depression. The text reads, there is a door in my chest, beating continuously. Within hope lies dead, and the heart lies sick. Everywhere I walk, 
I hear this endless noise. It's the sorrows coming in and the joys coming out. The lyrics of this song reflect anguish and grief. This song, written in 1953, reflects attitudes of darkness brought about by the political powers at the time. This piece was premiered by Berta and a vocalist at the Oporto Conservatory. There is no record that this piece was published during Berta's lifetime and no record of audience reception at the conservatory. It was composed eight years after the censorship laws were put in place and two years after the election of President Francisco Cravero Lopez. The setting of this poem at this particular time reflects the darkness of the political times and the oppression felt by many, specifically women, under these two governmental figureheads. This song opens in a brooding B minor key with a slow tempo and plodding chords. The tension builds as the piano accompaniment increases in dissonance, never ceasing the heavy bass line that plods along on every beat. This accompaniment is similar to that of a funeral march with its repetitive minor bass chords from beginning to end. Its style harkens the opening of Chopin's Opus 35 from nearly a hundred years earlier. The text and its setting all point towards a type of emotional death and a withdrawing from joy and light. The vocal line carries a dissonant melody over the heavy plodding accompaniment. The mezzo line is calm and doesn't increase in dynamic tension until the line, everywhere I walk, which arguably begins the poet's slash singer's descent into personal emotional darkness. The song climaxes with the final line, joys coming out. The text is stated once, making the song short and succinct like that of an epitaph. Because of her academic position, D'Souza had more of a voice than most women in Portugal. At that time, her music, though not published, was still able to be performed. Through her music, she expresses the death and oppression to the freedom of women's rights throughout Portugal, speaking for the thousands of censored and oppressed women. Here is an excerpt of the vocal piece, and I will link to a recording of the full piece in the podcast show notes. Preperlirios is Berta Alve de Souza's first piano solo piece. It was composed in 1953, the same year as the song we just discussed. Many similarities can be drawn from these two pieces. After this, de Souza went on to compose many solo and two piano pieces. De Souza premiered her own work at the Porto Conservatory, and to the knowledge of the Portuguese Music Research and Information Center, the piece was not performed again until after the composer's death. The music remained unpublished until 2000 when Fermata released an edition. Since its release, it has been performed numerous times in Portugal. 
Jimmy Mota writes that this set encompasses harmonic density, pianism, exploration of registers, intensity of colors, and suggests an orchestral reading and give it an indispensable aesthetic balance, end quote. Many similarities can be drawn between the song and none are more obvious than the first prelude entitled Grave. This one opens with the same plodding, ominous bass chords, reminiscent of a funeral march, with the right hand carrying a slow, dissonant melodic line. The piece is in E minor, but begins with a dissonant D sharp in the right hand that clashes with the bass harmonies, eerily similar to that of the soprano and piano accompaniment of Hano Mue Peto Umapota. The right-hand melodic line ascends and climaxes, where it reaches both the most dissonant chord, the highest note, and the loudest dynamic of the piece. It is at this point that the melodic line begins to descend and the bass line moves lower and lower into the depths of the piano. The piece is structured in an ABA ternary form with the addition of a two-measure coda. The return of the A theme is left mostly unaltered, except for the dynamics and the tempo marking, which says slower than at first. The piece ends with a measure of double forte contrasting that of the pianissimo. The funeral march-like bass line slowly descends into the depths of the piano, symbolizing a metaphorical burial. After the closing of this prelude, a final chord rings out and encompasses the lowest and highest notes of the prelude, proclaiming hope in despair. The final chord is bright and triumphant, not lost in the darkness. But I want to give you a chance to form your own opinion, so let's have a listen. This is my own recording of the first prelude.
The second prelude is entitled Fluente and opens with shimmering F-sharp minor chords shared between both hands in the upper register of the piano. The prelude begins much more hopeful than the previous. D'Souza studied composition for a while in France and the Impressionist movement had a heavy influence on her style. A self-identified Impressionist, D'Souza employed stylistic elements similar to that found in the music of Debussy and Defaya. She employs pianistic runs and relentless harp-like 16th passages underneath a melodic line that explores the range of the piano in a short period of time. Though she prefers to use harmonies more closely associated with Portuguese, Spanish, and Brazilian cultures, this prelude begins and ends in F-sharp minor, but the tonic harmony is rarely stated in its pure form. Rather, the addition of sevenths and ninths are heard throughout. The piece is not in any particular form, but rather is a short two-minute Impressionist-style prelude. It explores a wide range of colors on the piano with its sweeping dynamics and exploration of the range of the piano. The shimmering opening figures repeat exactly to close the piece with a brief addition of a three-measure coda. The piece is a display of the hallmark of Berta's style. She carries on, sharing beauty in the midst of tragedy. Here is prelude number two. final prelude is lento e sombrio, agitato, and opens similarly to that of the first prelude, grave. The tempo is close to that of the opening of the prelude and the vocal piece we discussed. Though this piece lacks the solid plodding repetitiveness of the bass chords found in the other two pieces, the dense, slow-moving harmonies and dissonant melodic line over top emulate that of the grave prelude. The opening of the third prelude is a combination of the dense, slow-moving harmonies of the first prelude and the harp-like rhythms of the second prelude. This opening is sorrowful and full of despair and longing, yet all of this is put to rest. In measure 11, we feel as if all hope is lost and the music has paused and the harmonies sound tired. It is at this point that the furious agitato section begins. The agitato section comes with a change in tempo and change in key. 
It begins at measure 12 with a relentless flurry of notes showing off the pianist's virtuosity. It's an impressionist in style, exploring the wide dynamic range of the piano using colorful harmonies and repetitive harp-like passages. The agitato shows her refusal to remain silent. This shows off the virtuosity of the pianist and utilizes the capability of the instrument to the fullest. The piece ends with a calmer andantino passage that recalls the opening thematic ideas. Just as the piece appears to be over, D'Souza inserts a fortissimo open fifth chord in the upper register of the keyboard. The final chord closes this piece on a bright and hopeful note. The open fifth harmonies are full of possibility, feeling unfinished. This conclusion symbolizes possibility and hope for the future. Let's have a listen to the third prelude.
Though it is never explicit in her music, I can't help but give a political reading of her music as an active defiance of and against the Salazar regime and the oppression of women. I think it reflects the political climate and the gendered tensions of the time that she lived in. Jacques Attali writes that, quote, listening to music is listening to all noise, realizing that its appropriation and control is a reflection of power that is essentially political. More than colors and forms, it's sounds and their arrangements that fashion societies with noise is born disorder and its opposite the world. With music is born power and its opposite subversion. In noise can be read the codes of life, the relations among men, end quote. Berta de Souza accomplished much in her lifetime. She was a writer, composer, conductor, and professor. Yet much of her music remained unpublished in her lifetime. Though we can find a catalog of her work, most of it is left unknown and uncirculated. In many cases, only sketches of her music exist. When observing the list of premieres of her work, often it was only the ensembles from the conservatory that performed. It is interesting to note that with all of D'Souza's connections in the musical culture of Portugal, so much of her music remained unpublished and indeed lost. Well, many male composers have a long legacy of mentors and teachers to hang their hat upon, Berta was one of only four composers who were women in Portugal before 1950. So it's with these thoughts that I leave you. Berta's music during this time was both a reaction to the hegemony and patriarchy present at the time. Her lack of music publication is an act of both government suppression and gender-based censorship. Yet the content of her music observed here is full of power and authority. Her music expresses both the bleakness of the political and societal control, yet refuses to be silent. Her music reacts against the censorship laws and patriarchal norms. Through her music, D'Souza was a voice amidst the deafening silence of women in Portugal. Berta Alve D'Souza was loud and clear. I hope you enjoyed listening. As you head out into your week, can you support the arts in some small way? A concert ticket, a trip to the theater, a $5 donation. Speaking of support, it would really help us out if you would subscribe, like, and rate this podcast five stars. It helps to get us in front of new listeners and keeps the episodes up to date on your devices. The subscriptions and ratings really matter to us and the sustainability of our show. And plus, it's free. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this new style of episode. As always, you can find me at oamusicstudios.ca and at OA Music Studios on socials. I will see you back here next week. Bye for now.